0: So grateful to be able to be back in the presence of everyone this evening. Trust that you've all had a, a great day and uh, the singing has been great and the experience so far this week and this is just Monday and uh, we've got a long way to go and uh, it'll go by quick and so we want to be sure that we experience every moment of it that we can and draw from every moment from, of it the, the spiritual encouragement and enlightenment that we are, are all, all seeking. This evening for a little while, I want us to study concerning this subject. One of the brethren in the back, he saw the title and he said, No, no, what is it you're talking about here? We want to be very clear. The title of our lesson tonight is Don't Sin. Don't Sin. Let me ask you this question. What do you do to not sin? What's your strategy for not sinning? Have you ever thought about that? What, is, what steps do I take to make sure that I don't sin? Or do I just kind of roll through life and take each moment and each occasion as it comes? Or do I have a purpose and an intent in my heart not to sin? Well, tonight we want to look at the Scriptures to try to understand how we can not sin in order that we can live righteous lives, in order that we can live holy lives, in order that we can live godly lives. Because the fruit of our relationship with God, we praise God for His mercy and His grace and His boundless love to us. And we praise Him for His compassions and and His mercies that are new every day. And we speak to Him and we praise Him for the salvation and the forgiveness and the abundant life that we have in Christ Jesus. But we have all of that from Him so that we will live a particular way, a holy way, a godly way, a righteous way. And in order to live a godly way, a holy way, in a righteous way, a big part of that is not sinning. And so we want to look at what the Scriptures have to say about not sinning. And we want to walk away from here tonight with a plan. So that in order for me to not sin, I want to do this, 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 and this. And especially for our young people. I want you to understand that with all of the pressures and all of the influences that are coming to bear on you in in your young age, you need to have a plan to not sin because if you don't have a plan, you're probably going to sin. And as parents, it's incumbent upon us to teach our children. It's incumbent upon us to model for our children how to not sin. And I think that the Bible speaks some very clear principles. They're not hard to understand. In fact, it's going to be a lot of common sense. But hopefully we can pull forth some principles and put them before us so that all of us can take these to heart. Go home and evaluate ourselves. Go home and talk to our families and say, okay, this is our plan for not sinning. The first thing that we need to do in order to not sin is to dedicate yourself to God. If you're not dedicated to God, you're going to sin. If you're just going to try not to sin when it's convenient and you're trying to try not to sin whenever I'm at a week-long meeting, I'm going to try to behave myself. Uh, you know, it's good. We're, we're thankful you're trying to behave yourself and I'm trying to behave myself. But that's not motivation to not sin. Motivation to not sin comes from being dedicated, dedicating yourself and dedicating your life to God. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 13 to 16, Peter says, therefore gird up the loins of your mind and be sober and rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ as obedient children. Now think of it whenever you were a child. Whenever we were children and we were growing up, maybe you looked at a parent or maybe you looked at a grown-up and thought to your mind, you know, when I, grow, when I grow up, I want to be just like them. And as a parent, as a father, that's the greatest commendation that can be given to us is to have our children look up to us with an obedient and submissive attitude and say, I want to be just like dad. Well, here Peter is saying that for us as children of God, as obedient and submissive children to look up at our father and say, I want to be just like him. Not conforming yourselves to the former lust as in your ignorance, but as he who has called you is holy, so be holy in all your conduct. Now there is a holiness, there is a righteousness that is imputed to us in Jesus Christ whenever we are baptized into Christ and put on Christ. But along with that imputation of holiness because of the holiness of Christ, there is an expectation of a holy conduct to follow, a conduct that is befitting of the holiness of the one who has called us into Christ. And are you dedicated to that life? Am I dedicated to that life? You know, whenever we sing the praises of God and we speak of his grace and his mercy and we have, and you see people in the world have all of these great worshipful experiences that are so moving in our hearts and and bring us to tears... You want to know whether you really love God or not? It's not how emotional you get whenever you sing a song in a church service. It's how you desire to be like Him when you walk out of this building and you go out into the world. I want to be like my Father. And the big part of being, being like your Father and me being like my Father is to not sin. And that's what Peter is saying here. As he who has called you is holy. So you also be holy in all your conduct, because it is written, Be holy, for I am holy. A holy life is predicated on the holiness of God and our dedication to Him to be like Him. The verse that he mentions in verse number 16 is Leviticus 11 and verse number 44 where the Lord says, For I am the Lord your God, you shall therefore consecrate yourselves and you shall be holy for I am holy. The word consecrate means dedicated. You dedicate yourself to the Lord and then you be holy. Holy. So the first step in not sinning is to look at yourself and I look at myself and ask my question, am I really dedicated to God? Do I want to be like God or do I just want to be an acceptable church member? Do I want to be like God or do I just want to impress my neighbors in the neighborhood so that they'll think I'm a pretty good guy? Do you want to be like God? Well, I can't be like God. God's perfect. God's perfect. He's not calling you to be perfect. He's calling you to be holy. And being holy means that you're set apart of the world. It means that you're not of the world, remember? That our life and our conduct and our reasoning and our manner of living is derived from the very nature of God. And when God says something is wrong, it's wrong and we're not going to do it. So are you dedicated to God? Whenever you sin... Where does, the grief, where does the grief of your sin come from? Well, I'm so, I let mom and dad down. Or I let my friends down. Or I let my wife down. How many people do we have to talk about that we let down before we get to God? Was it Joseph that said, how can I sin this sin against God? Whenever you sin, there may be a lot of, a lot of people offended down here. But the creator of that universe that Trevor spoke about this morning, the one that created the great expanses and the heavens with all of the glory and all of the design, that person is offended too. And that's the person that you're answerable to. That's the person that I'm answerable to. That's the person that gives us life and gives us salvation. Don't you want to be like him and serve him and not offend him and not disappoint him? What's your motivation for not sinning? You see, because if my motivation is anywhere else, when I'm around church members, I I don't want to sin because I want to be a good church member. Well, what if I'm not around church members? Well, I don't want to sin because I want to be a good... Well, what are you going to do when you're not around your neighbor? When you're all by yourself, in the secret confines of wherever you are, with just you by yourself, what is your heart and your mind led to do and led to think about? Is it led to think about the holiness of God and be holy in your conduct and in my conduct? So the first thing that we have to do is dedicate ourselves to God. And I ask you tonight, are you dedicated to God? Are you so dedicated to God that you're not just going to say thank you God for your mercy and grace, but you're going to walk out of here and you're going to seek to live the life that God has called you to live? Because any other motivation other than that is going to fail. Any other motivation other than that is going to fail. Next, you've got to be immersed in God's Word. Psalm 19, verses 10 and 11. David said, With my whole heart I have sought you. Oh, let me not wander from your commandments. Notice the first statement. It's a statement of dedication. With my whole heart I have sought you. A statement of dedication. And then what's the next statement that follows that statement of dedication? Let me not wander from your commandments. Well, how am I going to know His commandments? Your word I have hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. You have to be immersed in God's word. That we are so dedicated to God and committed to holiness that we're going to immerse ourselves in God's Word so that we can know His commandments and we can know His ways and we can know what sin is. Verse 98, You through your commandments make me wiser than my enemies, for they are ever before me. Did you know that God's commandments can make you wiser than Satan? Satan's your enemy. The psalmist says here the commandments of God can make you wiser than your enemies. You know, we look at Satan and his deceptions and his lies as we talked about and as we read last night and studied in the story of Manasseh that he was able to seduce Judah because they didn't keep the Lord's commandments. And then in verse 104, Though through your precepts I get understanding, therefore I hate every false way do you hate sin do I hate sin we have to have a a, a horror excuse me a horror at sin we have to hate it and we have to hate it so much that the thought of it creates within us a a, a, a visceral effect that the thought of just of, of offending God just makes us sick it makes us sick Or is it just kind of, you know, nobody's perfect. You know what? Nobody is perfect. But if you use that statement and I use that statement to take a casual attitude towards sin, and I think that sometimes whenever we talk about the mercies and the grace and the forgiveness of God and how that nobody is perfect and God is long-suffering towards us, you know, rather than creating in us a greater love and affection for the faithfulness and the goodness of God towards us, it also creates within us an apathy towards sin. So when I sin, yeah, nobody's perfect. Nobody is perfect except one, Jesus Christ. <clears throat> and he died because you're not perfect and I not, I'm not perfect but not that we could just continue to live saying, well, nobody's perfect, but that we can have an aspiration to holiness and walk in the conduct that we've been called to and whenever we do sin, in the conviction of our heart and in our repentance to the Lord, He will forgive us so that we can continue in that aspiration to holiness in our conduct. Not so that we can just say, eh, nobody's perfect. So you have to have a dedication to God and you have to be immersed in God's Word. Number three, we've got to understand how sin works. Do you know how sin works? There is a definite process to sin that's laid out for us in the Scriptures. That whenever you sin or I sin, it didn't just happen. But rather our sin is the fruit of a process that's carried out over time where Satan brings us to a point to where we are under the control of our own sinful desires, and then we sin. Whenever you go to James, James chapter 1, verses 13 to 16, we're going to spend a little bit of time here on this to understand how sin works. You know, anytime you're formulating a plan against an enemy, the first thing you want to try to figure out is, well, how's, what's the enemy going to do? I used to be a coach, and whenever you coach, when you're preparing for the opponent, you watch a bunch of film and video, and you try to figure out, okay, what is it that they want to do? And then when you put your game plan together, you put your game plan together to try to keep them from doing what they want to do. And so, let's kind of scout Satan for just a moment. Let's look and see how... He plans to try to cause us to sin or to lead us to sin so that we can have a plan in place that's going to help us to not sin. James says in James 1, 13 to 16, Let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he's drawn away from his own, By his own desires and enticed, then when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. There is a process that's laid out here that I want to show to you. And as you look at this process, maybe think of experiences with sin that you've had in life. And how maybe you can see the, the application of this process to some of the experiences maybe that you've had. The first thing that we want to notice is that in verse number 14, whenever he says, "Don't say when you're tempted, you're tempted of God." God doesn't tempt anyone. When a person is tempted, this is how he's tempted. First of all, he is drawn away by his own desires, drawn away by his own desires. Whenever you look at the word drawn away, what it's having reference to is hunting and fishing. we have got any hunters or fishermen in here. To draw away something means that whatever it is you're wanting, a fish or an animal that you're hunting, that that fish or that animal is in its safe place. It's in its lair, it's in its vegetation, it's in its den, it's whatever. And in order to capture that fish or that animal, the first thing you've got to do is to draw it out. It has to be drawn out. And so James says that in the process of temptation, the very first thing that takes place is that you and I are going to have to be drawn out. In other words, whenever we're drawn out of our safe place, whenever we're drawn out from the place where we are most protected and have the most strength, we then become vulnerable and then we become susceptible. And so that's what Satan's doing. Satan's a fisherman. (laughs) Every day Satan gets up. He's doing this. Every day he's throwing out there trying to lure somebody out. And that's what it means to be drawn out to have the bait put before you to try to get you to be drawn out. And notice that he says, drawn away by his own desires. You know, if you're, hopefully we all have enough education about bass fishing here, (laughs) that whenever you go bass fishing, you don't use chili dogs for a bait. Whenever you go bass fishing, you don't use licorice sticks for bait. (laughs) Why is that? Because the fish has no desire for that. Within that fish, there are instinctive desires that whenever they see something that appeals to that desire, it triggers that desire and then it draws them out in pursuit of the bait. And that's what James is saying here. That Satan, he looks to prey upon our desires in order to lure us out of our safe place to make make us vulnerable to his devices. Your desires may be different than my desires. Our desires are subjective. There are some things that I may desire sinfully that you may not desire. There are some things that you may desire sinfully that I don't desire. We all have our sinful desires. Some are greater than others. But nonetheless, we have those and Satan is preying upon them. You sit there right now and I'll stand here tonight and you think of your greatest sinful desire and I guarantee you right now Satan is making a plan as to how he can exploit that desire in your life, to draw you out and to make you vulnerable and to make me vulnerable to sin. So, the first step in the process of sin is to be drawn out by our own desires. And then in verse number 14, after we're drawn out by our own desires, we've left the safe place, we've left the place where we're strong, we're left the pla- we've left the place where we ha- have a sense of security, and now we've been drawn out and we've been made vulnerable through the sinful desires that he's preying upon, and then we are enticed. And the word enticed literally means to catch. We're hooked. We go out, we pursue the bait, and then we take the bait. We take the bait. So we've left our safe place, we've drawn out. Our desire now is for the lure that is in front of us, and to be enticed means that we've taken the bait. And if you've ever gone fishing, you don't always reel in every fish that you hook. (laughs) But one thing that does happen is whenever you hook that fish, the fight is on. The struggle is on. And so what I want us to notice now that we've gotten to this point of enticement that we've gotten to a point to where the control we had whenever we were in our safe place, we've now given up and now we've engaged ourselves in a battle that's going to be very hard and very difficult. And I'm going to guess with a congregation this size of people, the law of averages says there's some people sitting here tonight that have been caught by desires that are in the middle of a battle and in a struggle. And then after they have been enticed, then the Bible tells us in verse number 15, then when desire has conceived... It gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, brings forth to death. The word conceive means to catch and to take control of. To take control of. So we're over here. We're in our safe place. Satan throws his lure. We're drawn out. We take the bait. We're now engaged in the battle, and now we're brought all the way over to where we have been seized by Satan the word conceived there literally means to put your hands around the neck of someone and take them captive as prisoner and it's at this point that your desire and my desire has taken us captive as a prisoner so do you see the process we're drawn out by the lure we take the bait And now we become captive to the desire and it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, brings forth the death. That's the sin process. Now the steps may not be as identifiable as what we've laid out here tonight. But in some way, somehow, the temptations that we go through when we sin follow along that general order. And then notice what he says. Or First of all, let's... Go back to our safe place. I want you to understand that all through this process, with each step in the process, a little more control is given up each time until we lose total control. You know, when I'm in my safe place, I'm in total control. Just like that fish or that bear or whatever is in their safe place, they're safe. They're in control. But then as soon as they're drawn out, they lose a little bit of control now. Because now they've made themselves vulnerable. And then after they are enticed and they take the bait, they've lost even more control. And then whenever it is conceived, they have no control. And then there's sin and death. You know, sometimes we hear people say, well, I just couldn't help myself. And sometimes we scoff at that and say, well, no, you could have. But really, in a sense, that is true. You know, sometimes we can get ourselves in situations where we don't have any control. That we just can't say no when we need to say no. Or we can't say yes when we should say yes. Because the desire has consumed us, the desire has taken control, and so we really have lost all control and capability to not sin. But does that mean that we're not responsible? Absolutely not. Because there was a time when we had control. We had control here. When a person says, well, I couldn't help myself, that's true. They couldn't help themselves then because they didn't help themselves over here. The battle with sin is not fought in one over here with a hook in your mouth up on the bank. The battle with sin is won over here by having enough sense about ourselves to understand the dangers that are out there and to not allow ourselves to be drawn out of our safe place. You can't keep saying yes to Satan, yes to Satan, yes to Satan, and then all of a sudden say, no, Satan! (laughs) It doesn't work that way. Because if you've said yes here, you've said yes here, you've said yes here, then over here Satan is the one saying yes, yes. That's the process. And we must understand the process. And how do we surrender control to Satan in each step of the process? That's why we have to have wisdom to be forward-thinking and see the dangers that are out there from right here. You know, that's why as parents, whenever our kids tell us that they're going to do something, what's the first thing we see? We see the worst possible thing that can happen. (laughs) You know... When I was growing up, everything led to drinking. Mom and Dad, I'm going to go to the park and play basketball. Oh, that's going to end up in drinking. (laughs) You know, that type of thing. You know, and we kind of laugh about it, but you know, appreciate your parents because that's what true wisdom is. Wisdom is being able to see the end from the beginning. Being able to see the end from the beginning. And being able to be over here and to see this lure and know, okay, if I leave my safe place and I go after that lure, that's where I'm going to be over there. I'm going to be on the devil's stringer. I'm going to be in the devil's live well. And so he says in verse number 16, Do not be deceived. You notice whenever you read a lot of verses about sin in the Bible, Like 1 Corinthians 6, Ephesians chapter 5, 1 Corinthians 15, that have to do with with, with strong statements against sin. The writers generally all the time put in the statement, Do not be deceived. Do Do not be deceived. You know, fornicators, adulterers, and extortioners, they're not going to enter into the kingdom of heaven. Don't be deceived. The Apostle Paul said, don't be deceived. Evil communication corrupts good manners. Anytime there is an express statement about sin, or not every time, but most of the time, there is this warning to don't be deceived. Why is that? Because that's how we sin, is through deception. Is through deception. Isn't that what a lure to a fish is all about? Isn't that what bait to an animal is all about, deceiving them? And so in order to not be deceived, you have to be wise and understand. So, here's the process. Here's the fish. Fish is safe. The fish is in its cover. The fish is where it, right, where it needs to be for its safety and protection. But here comes a lure. Again, that's not a hot dog. But that's something that appeals to the desire of the fish. It looks like bait. It looks like food to that fish. And it triggers that desire and it draws the fish out. Uh Uh-oh. Now the fish is caught. And now the fight is on. I want to ask you this question. Where does this fish have the most control? Right here or right here? And then finally, the fish is Satan. The fish has no control. That fish now is either going to be put on a wall or put on a plate. And you know why that fish ended up where it is there? Because he left his safe place. That's the process of sin. Sin isn't just a mistake or a stumble. Or a mishap. A sin is the product of a purposeful process that Satan plays out in our life appealing to the sinful desires of our life. So what's our plan? What's our plan? Well, let's look at the process and let's put together a plan. You know, some people's plan is, well, I'm going to do as much as I can do, but in the end I'm going to say no. Well, that doesn't work. Oh, you might get away with it once or twice. But eventually, you're going to give in. I remember whenever I was in high school, and, you know, small school, so a lot of the kids, they'd go out on weekends and they would party and they would do their drinking and everything. And I'd never go. Mom and Dad taught me not to. And, and I wouldn't. But I remember what they would always tell me whenever they'd come back to school the next week and they'd talk about all the fun times they had. Jake, You ought to come out there with us. You can come, but you don't have to drink. You can come, but you don't have to drink. Well, what was that? Well, that sounds like a pretty good idea, doesn't it? That's Satan trying to draw me from my safe place. And you need to understand as young people, anytime the world calls you to an evil place and tells you... You can go, but don't do. You don't have to do. Once you go, then they're going to start working on the doing. Because <laughs> it's a lot easier to get you to do the do when you're already there than it is before you get there. All they got to do is just get you there. And then when they get you there, then they move you to the next, and then they move you to the next. And you've got to understand that with each step you take, then you lose control and seed control to the evil desire and Satan's manipulation of that desire. You know I used to be a school counselor and 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 raised kids and you always hear whenever they whenever they sin whenever they mess up and they you know they all start pleading peer pressure peer pressure. And I believe in peer pressure. Peer pressure is a very strong influence in the lives of people. Not just kids, but in grown-ups also. But here's the thing we need to understand. You choose your peers. And when you choose your peers, you choose your pressures. So if you're going to choose somebody that likes to drink and go out and carouse and have a good time, if you choose that person as a peer that you want to associate with, then you're going to choose the pressure that comes along with that. You choose your peers, you choose your pressures. To a great extent in our life, we choose our influences. We choose our influences. I don't think very many of us are forced into situations where we don't want to be. Now, maybe at work you've got some co-workers that are knuckleheads and they do bad things and they tempt you and things like that. But for the most part, whenever we're, you know, given our choices to where I can be with whoever I want to be, the person you choose is the influence you choose. So if there's a sin that you don't want to do, don't choose people as your peer that do that sin. Isn't that that simple? I mean, like we talked about the other day, let's just be simple about things. So we want to focus on drawing away in our own desires whenever we put together our plan. The first step in our plan should be this. Know your weaknesses and seek accountability. If you have a weakness, well, not if, assess your weaknesses. Know those weaknesses. Know what you're susceptible to. And be aware of that. And be vigilant and be circumspect. And be sober and watch around you for how Satan might be preying upon that weakness. If you're a young person, you might have a weakness for popularity. You might have a weakness to be accepted. You might have a weakness for some fleshly desire. And I say young people, those older people are the same way too. We just go about it different ways. Know those weaknesses and guard those weaknesses. It's just like, you know, if you're on a diet and you love pizza, don't go to a pizza buffet. I can't count the number of times that I said, I'll go to a pizza buffet, but I'll just eat the salad. It doesn't work. It doesn't for me for very long. So know what your weaknesses are. I don't have a weakness for liver. I could go to a liver buffet and be completely fine. (laughs) But a pizza buffet is different. Know your weaknesses. And seek accountability. What do you do when you're weak and you can't do something? You ask for help. You ask for help. And if there is a weakness that Satan keeps exposing and exploiting in your life and overcoming, then you are so weak you can't deal with that fault. And there are faults that come upon us that we can't handle by ourselves sometimes. That's why God puts us in a community of believers because we can only live successfully for God in a community of believers. Because we need each other. Not just to have a group of people to go to church with, but to have a group of people that we can confess to. To have a group of people that will pray for us. To have a group of people that will hold us accountable. James says, confess your trespasses one to another and pray one for another. Now, the word trespass that's used there, it means a misstep or a mishap. But the definition goes deeper than that. It doesn't just deal with, okay, I've made a sin or I've made a mistake, I'm going to confess it. Actually, this is teaching confess before you make the misstep. If I know that I have a weakness which is what the word alludes to according to some of the lexicons, a subjective weakness that I know this is a weakness that I have and it causes me to stumble. Then I want to let somebody else know about that who can hold me accountable and help me in giving me the strength to deal with that weakness because obviously I can't handle it myself. There is no shame in not being able to handle a weakness that you have by yourself. You know how we know? Because God tells us how to deal with those. It's who we are. So if you have a subjective weakness, if you have a certain area of your life where there is a sinful desire that you know you are susceptible to, let somebody else know about that so that they can hold you accountable and that they can pray for you and that together you can have help to bear that burden to be strengthened in that area of your life. You know, the, the, the best example is pornography. If you can't sit down at a computer and stay off the dirty websites, then you need somebody that's going to help you to do that. To join up with them and to put in a plan. Or any other type of sin. But we have to include people in our lives. We have to include people in our weaknesses lest our weaknesses overcome us. And that's hard to do. And you can't just do that with everybody. But it's something that we need to have the skill to do to be able to confide in people and to be able to have people to confide in us some of the the, the profound weaknesses of their life. Let me tell you, as a counselor, as a school counselor, I've been been told some pretty terrible things. Some pretty nasty, some pretty raunchy things that people struggle with, that kids struggle with. And they can't overcome them, and they can't get the help that they need. And we have those. We have those. Deep within the recesses of our hearts, there are weaknesses and struggles that we all have. And we can try to put a facade over them and look like, you know, we're super Christian and everything. But unless we're honest and we're real with our weaknesses, it may not happen today, it may not happen tomorrow, but sometime in the future, Satan can use that weakness and exploit that weakness and our entire life come crumbling down before us. Know your weaknesses and seek accountability. Number two, keep good company in safe environments. You know, the first step is to be drawn out. Stay in a safe place. What are your safe places? Where do you feel like you're the strongest? Well, obviously here this week. Hopefully none of us sitting here now have a great desire to go sin. It would be kind of hard to whenever you're with several hundred people here that want to try to live holy and righteous. But the sad thing is we're not always sitting in a church assembly at a gospel meeting. We have to go to school with people. And the sad thing is sometimes we have to go home to parents that aren't the best example. And we have to be around family members that aren't the best example. But somewhere in your life, in my life, we've got to know where our safe places are and where our company is. Whenever you look at the scriptures again, 1 Corinthians 15, 33, Be not deceived, evil company corrupts good habits. The be not deceived on this is obvious because we all think, well, I can be around those people and that'll be okay. You know, when you look at your environment, what's the purpose of an environment? The purpose of an environment is to support the life that you want to live. If I want to know about you or you want to know about me, I don't have to sit down and talk to you. You don't have to sit down and talk to me. All you've got to do is just let me walk with you through the normal course of your day and let me see the environment that you live in. Let me see the people that you associate with and that tells me all I need to know. And as, as a parent, you know, whenever you, I, I would see my kids at school with, you know, and being a, a teacher at school, you know all the kids and you know all about them because you go to the teacher's lounge. And you see your kids with a group of kids that you know. Now, in my mind, as a dad, I want to think, well, I've taught my kids and they're better than this and they know not to do that. Well, that's good, but here's my question. What does that group have that my kid wants? What does that group have that my kid wants? When you look at your friends at school, whenever you look at the company that you run with, ask yourself, what do those people have that I want? Because you're with them because they give something to you that you want. They support the life that you want to live. Well, I'm, you know, I've just, you know, they're, you know, they understand me and they accept me for who I am and all that stuff. You know, don't say that. Don't say that. You don't want people that are going to accept you the way that you are and understand. You want people that are going to make you better. That are going to make you better. And if I'm walking in sin and they accept me because I'm walking in sin, then they're not helping me at all. And that's not holy living. We want an environment that's going to enforce a holy lifestyle. Whenever I'm back home, I don't run with atheists. I don't go fishing with atheists or go golfing uh, with heathens. (laughs) I want to do my stuff with Christians because that's the type of life that I want to live. And whenever I go out with those Christians, I don't have to worry about fighting against an evil influence that they're going to pull beer out of a cooler or they're going to walk around the golf course cussing every time they miss a shot. I don't have to worry about that. We're going to walk around the golf course and maybe talk about a Bible verse or talk about how beautiful the day is that God might. Create that type of environment and seek out that type of environment. Because evil communication corrupts good manners. Don't be deceived in that. Have a place that you can run to for safety. You know, sometimes we get in situations that we didn't choose, but always know a way out, always know someone to call so that you can have that way out to that safe environment. Keep good company and have a safe environment. But here's the thing. Not sinning is not all about not sinning. (laughs) Have you ever concentrated real hard on trying not to do something, and then what do you end up doing? You do it. I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. You know, and you just grit your teeth and you clench your fish, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. And really, psychologically, the more focus you put on something to try not to do it, eventually that focus becomes so great and so consuming that it can trigger the desire within us even greater. Isn't that the way the sinful nature works? Tell me not to do something makes me want to do it more. Well, if you just keep telling yourself over and over, I don't want to do it, I don't want to do it, I don't want to do it, what's the sinful will going to do? The sinful will is going to keep saying, yes, we do, yes, we do, yes, we do, yes, we do. So instead of just focusing on not sinning, we need to pursue good with other people. It's not enough just not to do something, but we have to do the opposite in order to avoid doing that. First Timothy Chapter 6, verse 11, Paul told Timothy, But you, O man of God, flee these things. He talks about the evils of the love of money and the sorrows of the love of money and greed. And he says, You flee those things, but don't just run from the greed and the love of money and the sorrows of money, but pursue something. Pursue righteousness. Pursue godliness. Pursue faith. Pursue love. Pursue patience. Pursue gentleness. Pursue the virtues of holiness. Make them objectives in your life. Okay, I'm not going to sin. This is what I'm going to do. Paul says in 2 Timothy 2.22, Flee youthful lust. Notice that in each of these instances, when he tells Timothy to flee something, he automatically tells him what to pursue. Pursue righteousness, faith, love, peace. And then notice this last statement. With those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. Pursue that with other people. Pursue what is good with other people. Again, the involvement of other people in our lives to keep us from sinning. Now when I look at this plan, this is just a plan that I've come up with. There may be some things that you can add to this. But I think that this can give us a general framework for discussion for a place to think about, okay, how am I not going to sin? This is July, August. School starts next year. Young kids, when you go to school, how are you not going to sin? What's your plan for not sinning? Parents, what's your plan for your kids to not sin? Parents, what's your plan for not sinning? Preacher, what's your plan for not sinning? And have that plan and be prepared. And so as we conclude, dedicate yourself to God. God is holy. And the greatest praise and honor and glory you can give to God is not to turn on the Christian radio station and drive down the road with the wind in your hair saying, praise the Lord, praise the Lord. The greatest honor you can give God is to be like Him. Be like Him in all manner of your conduct. Be immersed in God's Word. God's Word will make you wiser than Satan. God's Word can make you wiser than Satan. God's Word tells us what sin is. God's Word tells us the motivations that we should have to not sin. But be immersed in God's Word. Understand how sin works. Understand the process. That as soon as something in your environment piques an interest in an evil desire, you know automatically Satan's working. Satan's working. And you say no right then. Anytime that ad pops up on your computer screen that appeals to your desire, no, Satan's working. And you find that X as quick as you can and you click on it. And you get rid of it. And if you're a child, you let your parents know that that's coming up. But on the front end is where the work of holiness takes place. On the front end. And don't think that we're going to get to a point to where you're going to stand toe-to-toe with Satan on his turf, under his control, and defeat him. And then have a plan. Know your weaknesses. Seek accountability. Keep good company in safe environments. Tell people what your weaknesses are. If people tell you what their weaknesses are, you hold those weaknesses in confidence and you pray for them and you bear their burdens with them. And don't be afraid to tell your darkest secrets if necessary. As I've said before, I've had some people tell me some pretty terrible things. And one of the things I always like to tell them whenever they're talking to me is that, especially to Christians, there is nothing you can tell me that's going to cause me to think less of you or love you any less. Because I know that God knows everything about me. And even though He knows everything about me, He doesn't think any less of me or love me any less. So when somebody tells me the, the secrets and the weaknesses that are in the deepest recesses of their hearts, I owe them the same responsibility and courtesy. Keep good company in safe environment and pursue good with others. I appreciate your attention and I hope that what we've talked about tonight will help you to not sin. Not sinning and being holy It's not about trying to be better than other people. It's not trying to be self-righteous. That's not what it's about. It's about trying to be like God. And God has called you to that, and He's called me to that. Let's dedicate and commit our lives to that. We've selected a song. If you're here this evening and you're not a Christian, you're dead in your sin, And because you're dead in your sin, there's nothing you can do about it. There's no amount of good works. There's not a a number of church services or good deeds that you could do that's going to take away the guilt of that sin. The only thing that can take away that sin is the blood of Jesus Christ. And He calls you to repentance, to change the way that you're living, to confess Jesus as the Son of God and be buried with Him in baptism, to be in Christ and to have your sins washed away to live then a holy and righteous life for the Lord. If you are here tonight and you are a Christian, and maybe you're struggling with sin, maybe Satan's got you on a hook, maybe Satan's got you on the bank, and you're powerless and you're helpless and you can't do anything about it, there's a congregation of people right here that want to help you with your weakness. They want to help you with your trespass. That's the one thing that Satan wants to do. He wants to get you off by yourself because he knows if I can get them off by themselves... I can get them. But as long as you're joined up with a body of believers and drawing from the source and the strength and the encouragement and the accountability of believers, you're a much greater foe for the devices of Satan. So if we can help you, we'd ask either one to come as we stand and sing.